I hope that this message reaches its rightful recipient. Mr. President, my name is Tracy Beans. I am a wife, a mother, and I'm also an investigative journalist. I understand as well as the American people do, and I think I speak for millions of Americans right now, that we understand that you are surrounded by a den of vipers who do not have the best interests of the United States of America at heart or your best interests at heart either. We are still out here fighting and we are the ones who matter. We know what happened on November 3rd and now we just need to look at all these machines and prove it. We are asking, begging you at this point to do everything that you can do in your power to allow us the opportunity to get to the bottom of this fraud before January 6th. What do you have to lose? You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. We have been fighting so hard since November 3rd and even before so that the Republic of the United States of America can remain sovereign, that our elections will matter and have integrity. We are still here. We are still fighting. We support and we pray for you and we know how hard this is. But we are still here and we are what matters. At the end of the day, I know that every honest American out there really, really agrees that we need to get the bottom of this and the Electoral College needs to do the right thing as mandated. Thank you for choosing Tox News, a Portum Rebellion broadcast. That was brought to you by Coping Maga on Twitter. Some poor soul is uh, dealing with the election results, as many Republicans are in the same manner. And as I covered in the previous episode, this is all coming from the right-wing media and the echo chamber that it is saying that Donald Trump should enact martial law in order to ensure a fair and integral election, even though doing so kind of, to me, proves the opposite. If you need to have military occupy your nation for an election, there is some serious concerns on the integrity and decency of said election. Welcome to this Monday episode. I did a pretty long one yesterday, but uh, just want to touch on a quick, quick few things. Just a, you know, couple things, uh, mainly dealing with the stimulus check, which seems to have passed today, handing out $600 to every American. And so we have Mitch McConnell here. Give me one second. Uh, one second. Outside group to take it because of continuity of government concerns. Second, I think it's. Imp- oh, that's this is actually Mitch McConnell speaking about the coronavirus vaccine. I will get to the stimulus package in a second, but uh, my apologies for the inconsistency here. Well, look, first, in terms of the order of taking it, we were designated by a public health outside group to take it because of continuity of government concerns. Second, I think it's important for the leaders in the country to step. Which is funny because Republicans didn't feel that when they decided not to wear masks. Uh, Take the vaccine and help reassure the American public because Polls indicate about half the public is either skeptical about taking the vaccine or doesn't want to take it at all. Well, look, first in... Yeah, so I I guess by them being first in line really will convince people into getting in there. So the recount here has... uh, I I just wanted to show his sliminess real quick just because, you know, uh, it really should be um, the American people 
ahead of its representation. But, you know, you can make the argument that the representation leadership needs its vaccines. But we really should have been more prepared to have more citizens vaccinated and essential workers vaccinated. Um, but we've had we, we, we have a small amount of doses, I think, at the beginning of the rollout. It was only 100,000 Americans that had been vaccinated including Vice President Mike Pence. So obviously there's a bit of, um, I don't know, uh, privilege in getting it right now. Um, so moving on, today's radar coming from the recount, we have 30 days till inauguration. We have 317,684 U.S. COVID deaths. Bidens are getting the vaccine today as of Monday. Um, first Moderna vaccine uh, is going out. Uh it says, what up with that batshit Trump White House meeting, which I covered yesterday or in the previous episode. House slash Senate to vote on pandemic relief. Kamala Harris campaigns in Georgia, uh, most likely for the uh, runoff elections going on for the Senate seats. Uh, the UK last week warned of a new coronavirus variant that is spreading much faster than the original strain of the disease. Uh, they're not thinking that it's going to affect the vaccines as the, the spike proteins that came from the synchronization of the coronavirus. Uh, basically, the, the, the attachment proteins that link into your uh, lungs that the, the vaccine fights is uh, still prevalent. So there's, of course, more research to do. And I did speak about this in the previous episode, so I am going to move on. In Europe, France, Germany, wow, Germany, Italy, Ireland, and the Neanderthals. <laughs> Sorry, I've been reading uh, Homo sapiens by uh, Yuval Noah Harari. Sorry. And the Netherlands have all barred flights from the UK. Other countries, including India, Canada and Israel have also imposed measures barring flights from the UK. The United States, however, has not done so. So that was actually a quick brief rundown uh, from the recount there. And then I have this from Representative Don Beyer. He is a House representative from the 8th District in Virginia. And uh, he just wanted to tweet out, and I quote, If you find the failure to get a deal here frustrating as hell, you are not alone. But we need to be honest about why this is happening. Failure to say who held this up helps them keep doing it. So be precise. Quote, unquote, Congress is not holding this up. Senate Republicans are. Look. And he continues on. Who fought tooth and nail to stop Americans from getting direct payments, a.k.a. stimulus checks? Senate Republicans did. And he took screenshots of Nicholas Wu, who said McConnell says the $500 bill stimulus plan coming up tomorrow does not have stimulus checks in it. Asked why not, he said, we thought about $500 billion was appropriate at this juncture and notes unemployment rate is at 8.4%. And then there's a quote here from Jill Stein, or Jeff Stein, my apologies, that says, no state and local aid, only one additional month in PUA and PEUC for jobless Americans, no additional stimulus checks, Senator Cornanese proposed liability shield, no money for transit agencies, among other non-starters for Dems. That was Senator Mitch McConnell's pr proposed bill which brought down the proposed bill from the Democrats saying that, hey, we need to negotiate because I want something far less and including uh, liability for companies. Representative Don Beyer here uh, continues on and says, and when it was clear that checks were going to happen, who cut the size of your checks in half? Senate Republicans did. 
And he quotes an article here from Business Insider that says McConnell included $600 checks in COVID-19 stimulus plans after hearing the GOP opposition could cost them the Georgia Senate runoffs, report says. Now, I just want to take a quick break here that uh, my roommate may need me to open my door or open the door in a little bit. So I might have to take a quick pause, but don't let that hinder the experience, even though I kind of sort of am. So Representative Don Beyer here continues on saying who fought to make sure that needy Americans who had lost their jobs wouldn't get the checks Senate Republicans had already cut in half. Senate Republicans did. And he quotes a tweet from Jeff Stein that says the number two Senate Republican suggested lawmakers are seeking to prevent people who get the $300 unemployment benefit from also getting the $600 check, calling it a double benefit. The congressional Democrats I've spoken to are firmly against this idea. Representative Don Beyer continues, who said, who fought tooth and nail to cut enhanced federal benefits for America's unemployment in half? Senate Republicans did. And he quoted from Clarion Ledger that says, unemployment benefits are among the sticking points. Democrats offered $600 in their proposals, but Republicans said those benefits would disincentivize work and offered $200 to $300 proposals. Uh, Representative Don Beyer continues, who is fighting against rental assistance and extending moratoriums on evictions and foreclosures? Who is fighting against funding to help feed the hungry and prevent people from starving? Senate Republicans are. And he quotes articles from NBC, specifically a quote that says, which contains uh, the, the moderate plan, which contains no funding for state and local aid, no money for rental assistance, and provides just a one-month extension of unemployment benefits rather than the bipartisan proposal's three-months extension. McConnell's plan also offers nothing in the form of food nutrition assistance and does not extend an evictions moratorium. Now, as of this date, those things are in the bill, but these are the proposals that Mitch McConnell made in order to get certain concessions from the Democrats that would uh, reduce the spending. Representative Don Beyer continues, who refused to even discuss a new relief package for nearly four months through the spring and summer because they said over and over again that there was no urgency? Senate Republicans. And I don't really have to go over that. He did quote a uh, July 24th post from Charlie Anderson that says, May 11th, 74 days ago, I don't think we have felt the urgency of acting immediately, was a quote from Senator Mitch McConnell. Uh... Representative Don Beyer continues, who relentlessly relentlessly sabotaged bipartisan discussions on a new relief bill throughout the fall? And he quotes an article here that says, Mitch McConnell says, Senate will vote on a $500 bill stimulus plan before Election Day as Trump tells GOP to go big or go home. McConnell warns, White House against making stimulus deal as Pelosi and Mnuchin inch closer. Um, Pelosi and Schumer write to McConnell asking he begin Bipartisan negotiations this week on a coronavirus relief package dated November 17th, 2020. McConnell shoots down bipartisan $900 billion coronavirus stimulus plan as stalemate drags on, reported on December 1st. Representative Don Beyer continues, And who is holding up the final deal right this minute over last-second demands that have nothing whatsoever to do with the virus? Senate Republicans are, and this quote comes from Jeff Stein saying McConnell told Senate Republicans in call this afternoon that GOP needs to stick behind Toomey on proposal to rein in Fed as already tweeted by several political reporters. And then Representative Don Beyer finishes by saying, quote, 
Saying both sides are to blame or putting this down to Congress being dysfunctional just isn't true, and it helps Senate Republicans evade accountability and public pressure. They depend on it, and it ensures that they will keep obstructing. And I could not have said it better myself. That was a great thread, and I am happy to have shared it with you. Now, to continue on with the coronavirus stimulus package, the second one in the United States history, I wanted to do this Rand Paul speech here. Just go over it real quick. I got it from the Golden Black Libertarian ANCAPS uh, subreddit, and here we go. <clears throat> Senator from Kentucky. Republicans like to mock modern monetary theory, the idea that government can print money with impunity, that government can spend whatever it wants without the need to tax. Modern monetary theory... <laughs> Which is funny because he sits on the ideological side of reducing taxes and regulations as far as they can possibly go. ...is basically the Dick Cheney deficits don't matter crowd, trussed up with a new fancy title. Most Republicans rightly lampoon this quackery. That is when they're not practicing the quackery themselves. Today, many of these same Republicans will vote for a bill that makes modern monetary theory look like child's play in comparison. The monster spending bill presented today is not just a deficits don't matter disaster, it is everything Republicans say they don't believe in. This bill is free money for everyone. Proponents don't care if you're fully employed or own your own house or own your own business. Free money for everyone, they cry. Because there's a lot of conditions that uh, obviously Rand Paul is not aware of. Maybe reduced hours, maybe cut pay. You know, there's a lot of situations that people could be facing. Maybe uh, mounting hospital bills from COVID or other uh, situations. So uh, he's just, you know, blanket statement. He's making a blanket statement for all Americans stereotyping them, even though he doesn't have all the data of every American. Uh, he probably could have access to it. He's a senator, for God's sake. But he uh, obviously wants to ignore it because he hates the idea of spending money. Um, unless it's on, uh, I'm not 100% sure what Rand Paul would spend money on. Uh, he seems to be against the, uh, Iraq and Afghanistan wars and the endless war on terror, seemingly, but, um, I, I don't know 100% what he would spend his money on. That would be interesting, uh, to see Rand Paul run for president and find what his specific priorities are, since it has nothing to do with social safety nets, so. And yet... If free money were the answer, if money really grew on trees, why not give more free money? Why not give it out all the time? Why? Yes, yes, I completely support a UBI, especially as the inflated costs uh, make a you know a living standard uh, almost impossible on a minimum wage salary. So yeah, I'm totally for a UBI. Stop at $600. Not an Andrew Yang UBI because you, his was a sly attempt to cut other social safety net benefits, but a UBI that is uh, completely separate from Social Security and Medicaid and all of those, the SNAPs, the food stamp EBTs, uh, those should still stay in place with a UBI. But maybe after further study of a UBI and whether or not Americans will still need it, but uh, I am a supporter of UBI, especially if we continue down a road of automation and making manufacturing 
manufacturing jobs completely meaningless, industrial jobs completely meaningless, and factory jobs completely meaningless, warehouse jobs completely meaningless. Automation can even lead to retail jobs being meaning meaningless. Amazon had a store that had nobody working in it except for cameras that would uh, track the uh, the customers and make their purchases off of their Amazon accounts. So uh, automation is coming, and UBI may be the answer to that. Dollars a person. Why not a thousand dollars? Why not two thousand dollars? Canada has been giving their citizens two thousand dollars a month. Yes. Maybe these new free money Republicans should join the everybody gets a guaranteed income caucus. Why not twenty thousand a year for everybody? Why not thirty thousand? If we why can not? print up money with impunity, why not do it? Why not? Because we can do it for the for the uh, for the the military budget, and we do it all the time to bail out big corporations. So why not start doing it to bail out average ordinary citizens? I could not agree more, Rand. The Treasury can just keep printing the money. That is until someone points out that the imp- and I I mean I I hopefully I don't have to point out that his name is uh is inspired by Ayn Rand. Rand Paul, Ayn Rand, the uh, founder of objectivism, which is a philosophy solely fixed on selfishness and greed, and that rich people know what's best. Emperor has no clothes, and that the dollar no longer has value. To so-called conservatives who are quick to identify the socialism of Democrats, if you vote for this spending monstrosity, you are no better. When you vote to pass out free money, you lose your soul and you abandon forever any semblance of moral or fiscal integrity. So the next time you see Republicans in high moral dudgeon claiming and complaining about spending of Democrats and socialism, remind them. Remind them if they supported this monstrous bill that really the difference between the parties is less Adam Smith versus Marx and more Marx versus Ingalls. <laughs> How bad is our fiscal situation? Well, <laughs> no, no, not really. It's a little bit more like uh, like what a uh, philosophy tube had brought up. It's actually more Carnegie Marx, uh, not so much uh, Adam Smith. Now let's see here. I'm just trying to see if he what he voted on the CARES Act. Uh, he did not vote. He abstained. All right. Very interesting. He didn't vote no, but he also abs uh, abstained here. And then Family First Corona uh, Coronavirus Response Act. He voted no. So yeah, he's he's uh, he's been fairly consistent on this. Well, the federal government brought in 3.3 trillion last year and spent 6.6 .6 trillion. Oh, the deficit. I think that's the roommate. Pardons. Here, I'll just make it easier on you, and I will be right back. And we're back from a false alarm, so I may have to do another pause, but at least I didn't actually do a pause to make you wait, so let's get back to it. So last year, a record-busting $3.3 trillion. If you're looking for more COVID bailout money, we don't have any. The coffers are bare. We have no rainy day fund. We have no savings account. Congress has spent all the money long ago. The economic damage from this pandemic is not the reason for this runaway spending. This spending's been going on for decades. Every year. 
I wonder if he had like the argument for the PPP loans because he's only making the argument for the stimulus checks and in this bill is the extension of those PPP loans as well or PPP loans, the payment protection program, which is specifically for corporations, entrepreneurs and uh, small businesses. But um, yeah, I don't hear him arguing against that. Sure. Even just the Americans, just the, the money that COVID goes to Americans. Money, we've been spending a trillion dollars we don't have. Today's money is gone. So Congress is spending tomorrow's money. The spending chart is a red line of red ink that goes on forever. Well, it's a good thing then that we got a uh, president who is going to raise taxes on the wealthier end of the American economic system so that'll at least increase some of the government's revenue he's only increasing it by like five or six percent points but still that's millions of dollars it, when we talk if corporations pay it talk about spending tomorrow's money it's just not it's not just the money that we need next month it's the money we might need in a decade it's the money we will need in one two three generations for now for national defense for infrastructure this is the money that your children and your grandchildren will pay back with interest. The deficit doubling and tripling. Under George Bush, it went from $5 trillion to $10 trillion. Under President Obama, it went from 10 to $20 trillion. We're now at $27 trillion, but we're adding it at a trillion dollars a year before we get to this COVID budget-busting bailout. Every taxpaying American already owes over $136,000. And they're staring at projections into the future that show no end. We are $27 trillion in debt today. Wait, what does he mean by like taxpayers owing that much money? Is it in their own personal debt? Because then this, uh, this stimulus money can throw like, oh, uh, you know, it can hurt it a little bit. You know, obviously it's not going to do much damage to 136,000. But here we have right here, I looked it up, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, Trump's uh, tax bill that really uh, substantially cut taxes, I guess for a lot of people, but mainly it did go across the board, but it did mainly cut taxes for richer people. Um, he voted yes for it. So like I said, he will vote for a reduction in tax money and then complain about government spending being too high. Even though the government could spend more money have had we like properly taxed the right people um so you know the the contradictions here is paramount how do we expect a child to have the economic opportunity when this crushing debt is their inheritance from so then a good response to that is to continue uh you know su supporting public schools so that every children can child can go to school for free and then also um we can make uh you know college free and cancel student debt that'll help that'll help and because that money isn't even going to taxpayer money that's going to like loan sharks from congress the numbers are mind-boggling it's hard to conceive of what a billion dollars is, much less a trillion dollars. How big is a billion? Well, a billion seconds ago was 1988 and Reagan was president. A billion minutes ago, Jesus walked the shore of the Sea of Galilee. A billion hours ago, men still lived in caves. But a billion dollars ago was just 80 minutes ago. A billion dollars ago at the rate Congress spends money was just 80 minutes ago. 
all of this should... I can't remember the exact statistic, but I think the Pentagon spends $2 million every quarter of a second. So I feel like we have to take that into consideration. This tweet here, which I think it was pretty funny, said $600 can't buy an ambulance ride. In America, that costs at least $1,000. A month of rent in any state or a coffin. So while he's complaining about this spending money going to uh, useless Americans, um, it's really just chicken scratch. Should be setting off alarm bells, but the only alarm bells in Congress are sounding the alarm for more spending and more debt. No cuts, no offsets, no pay-fors, no prioritization. Just print it up. Print up more money and give it out to everybody because it's free money. Come and get yours. Well, the getting's good, but it leads to a mountain of debt. Spend all this money and leave the future to figure itself out. John Maynard Keynes was once asked, what about the long run? He said, in the short run, you, know, you can make a stimulus, you can print money, and you can give it to everybody. And Maynard Keynes, his response was, in the long run, we'll all be dead. No concern for the future, only for the immediate. <laughs> Our I like how he keeps explaining that, but had we like done multiple relief bills for American citizens, we would have been thinking of the long term. Had he supported uh, longer lockdowns, uh, say just three months rather than no lockdowns at all, we would have been thinking of the long-term game. But he was thinking of short-term gains, especially for the uh, the the, uh, the especially for the uh, uh, corporations, their profits, their shareholders making their quarterly profits in order to keep everybody at work to produce that surplus value that goes into their pockets. It's very funny what he supports and what he's willing to fight against. But uh, public citizen, I had that uh, statistic wrong. Uh, for context, the Pentagon spends $600 every 0 0.025 seconds. So I apologize for that getting that wrong. Um, is Senator Rand Paul aware of that or is he just willfully ignoring it? Our budget deficit for 2020 was 3.3 trillion, but this new spending package will also give us another $2 trillion in the next fiscal year. By refusing to... Yeah, but also, like, we were expected to reach $1 trillion in deficit, mainly because of Trump's uh, spendings. Like, this was projected in 2018 or 2019 after the Tax Cut and Jobs Act was enacted. So we were already looking at trillion dollars in deficit m b prior to coronavirus pandemic emergency just on the government revenue how much it was earning and how much trump was spending so we were already looking at that and of course in this pandemic when people need support especially small businesses and its workers um rand paul not for make increasing the debt but for those job cuts or the tax cuts and the jobs act totally willing to take on that deficit acknowledge the debt crisis we are only hastening the day of economic reckoning Total debt was 55% of GDP just 20 years ago. Today, it's 128% of GDP. So our annual or our total debt is more than our GDP, 128% of our GDP. The World Bank estimates there's a tipping point of debt to GDP at about 77%. Every percentage point costs another tenth or so of economic growth. So every year we're giving... So we need to increase taxes in order to uh, balance out that government revenue. 
against government expenses. But he's not going to support that. Up somewhere between five to eight percent. He would probably argue, oh, this isn't the time to increase taxes. We're just coming out of an economic recession. Of growth every year because of this burden of death, of debt. This is thousands of jobs every year, tens of thousands of jobs that we lose because of this burden. It's, of it's probably like, well, what would you do, Rand Paul, instead? And he would say, I would do nothing. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. We are borrowing and worsening this debt crisis in part because too many governors and mayors have imposed heavy-handed restrictions that crush business. It isn't the pandemic that's killing the economy, it's the government's overzealous response that is killing the economy. Which is funny because when you look at our statistics compared to other countries, we do not have an overzealous response. We have a pretty meager one, if that. The pandemic itself was disrupted, but Congress is being asked to help perpetuate these lockdowns. The more money we give to the states, the more they keep us in lockdown. Every bailout dollar printed and passed out to the governors only allows these tin-pot dictators to perpetuate the lockdowns. Their rules are arbitrary and unscientific. Governors and mayors... Uh, no, his claim is unscientific because for a while now, uh, experts and scientists have been saying that lockdowns would help flatten the curve and reduce the spread. And then other experts had said that longer lockdowns and, uh, slower reopenings would help the economy in the long term. ...across the country are picking winners and losers. Businesses, some that have been in families for generations, are being wiped out because they're not allowed to open. Restaurants have to close. But he's arguing against the ability to give them money so that they can stay closed without losing their business, so that they can pay the rent or whatever they need to pay to keep their business in, in, in its place. Like, usually it's a landlord that owns the property and the business pays them in order to have that property as their business. So what he's arguing against, but he hasn't brought up because it's a part of the bill is the PPP loans that help small businesses pay their employees and pay their, uh, their, uh, uh, you know, their rent and their, 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 their location fees. So, um, he hasn't brought that up. He's, you know, arguing against the $600, but this, that's attached to this bill. Close their doors for indoor dining, but then they can told they can open at limited capacity, but then they are told they have to close again. And then they're told they can open outside, and then they're told they can't open outside. Confusing doesn't even explain the half of it. Bars are told that they can only serve alcohol if people are sitting and not standing, and only if they have heavy foods on their menus. Restaurants are told they can serve out. He's being very specific because I haven't experienced that at all. Uh, I've, I've gone to a few places um, you know, regrettably, you know, you can, you can hate on me for that. But, uh, uh, you know, after getting COVID tests, I went to go see my parents and we went to have a nice dinner for, uh, my mother's birthday. And, um, yeah, no, that's not a thing. It's not a, that's not a thing. My mom has an autoimmune disease, so I have to make sure that I am actually staying clean before going to see her. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, we went to a, a nice place to grab a bite. You know, we were, you know, at a pretty decent distance away from most people. And everybody was served everything, uh, you know, with, uh, sitting or standing. It's, it's, I don't know where he, is that happening in his state? I don't, outdoors then they have their permission revoked after they've sunk time and money converting their restaurant to outdoor services 
but a caterer is told they can still serve outside. Businesses are told they have to close at an arbitrary time determined by government officials as though the virus only comes out late at night. A business in one zip code can open, but one in an adjoining zip code across the street has to close, as if the virus can't cross an imaginary line. Or it's more as if, like, each uh, city or district has its own uh, laws or mandates. In, in, uh, there's no uh, blanket mandate f from the state, and so certain uh, counties and cities have had to take it upon themselves. It's the same thing when the president didn't do a national mandate that the governors then had to handle, and if the governors don't do it, then the mayors do it. It's a level of hierarchy, Rand. Airlines are allowed to fly, but hotels have to limit their occupancy, so you may not have anywhere to stay when you get there. Mom and pop stores and special... Well, then we should have argued the fact that, like, maybe it's not a good idea for airports to be able to fly. But then he would argue against that as well, that everything... His basic... Basically, his idea to handle the coronavirus pandemic is to do nothing. ...stores are forced to close, but big box store competitors are allowed to stay open. How is any business expected to survive with this kind of arbitrary regulation that changes from day to day? I also like how he just keeps like like throwing out open-ended questions and provides zero solutions. Meanwhile, many schools remain closed, despite overwhelming evidence showing kids can learn safely in person, which means parents can't go to work. But that doesn't mean that kids can't catch the virus and then spread it to other family members who then spread it to more people. Which forces parents to leave their jobs and take home and take care of homebound kids. Now they have no in I mean that wouldn't be more of an issue if we you know had a, a more you know extensive uh daycare program that was actually funded by the government as well which we could you know possibly fund with increased taxes on the rich come because the government forced them to leave their jobs to take care of their kids and many kids are struggling with this improvised virtual school the need for help is is real i hear it every day from kentuckians and across it's very fascinating to me because I'm sure he's also like uh, school choice, like pro school choice, meaning that he wants to subsidize and give vouchers for private schools, which will effectively continue defunding public schools. So, uh, you know, he's not pro school. It's, it's such a ridiculous. This is all ridiculous because he obviously wouldn't pass money to actually give uh, the schools the, the tools they need to open safely. So across the country. But it's clear that government has worsened the economic damage and acted as the biggest obstacle to economic recovery. And I went over how it's actually Republicans that have been the biggest obstacle. And that is the end of the video. We just went over with uh, Representative Don, Don Beyer on how uh, it's actually Republicans who have been stymieing any uh, relief. So, um, to move on here, the usual Monday update of the Militia Watch coming from Militia.Watch. Uh, go check their website out. They have weekly updates, but I like to read them here just to keep up. So, it reads, Wolverine Watchman Court Case Update. Indictments for half a dozen militia members. I believe these are the ones who tried to kidnap the governor of Michigan and failed, thanks to the FBI. 
So it says a federal grand jury passed out charges to six alleged members of the Michigan Wolverine Watchmen militia this past week. Caserta, Croft, Fox, Franks, Garbin, and Harris. These indictments were no surprise, but detail the group's long-term plan hatched last summer that resulted in major arrests earlier this fall. Another alleged Wolverine watchman, Brian Higgins, is currently fighting an extradition order from Governor Whitmer, claiming that the target of the group's plot has a conflict of interest against the extradition order. <laughs> oh my goodness, what a joke. Oh man, she can't she can't have me arrested. She was the one I was trying to kidnap. <laughs> All right. Um, and then, yeah, it's a pretty short one here. So it says other miscellaneous updates and further reading. Ammon Bundy's newest organization preparing for further armed confrontation with government forces via Raw Story. Um, not too familiar with Ammon Bundy, but apparently he's an anti masker preparing for another armed confrontation with the government. Uh, I'm just going to read this briefly. It says, right-wing militant Ammon Bundy is preparing for another armed confrontation with the government, this time over coronavirus restrictions. The conservative activist who led standoffs against federal agents at his father's Nevada ranch in, in Oregon Wildlife Sanctuary is now warning that his People's Rights Group is expecting possibly violent conflict with the government over COVID-19 mandates, reported the Idaho Press. So look more into that if you would like. I think it's very interesting since Rand Paul just got done calling, uh, you know, governors who enact those uh, coronavirus lockdowns as tin pot dictators. So that's that kind of rhetoric that's fueling it. Uh, it says here, pro-Trump lawyer Lynn Wood calls on his followers to check their stock of quote-unquote Second Amendment supplies in a tweet earlier last week via Newsweek. Uh, cool. And that's like before, that's like as Trump tweeted that, uh, you know, come down to the January 6th protest, it's going to be wild. Uh, and then the last bullet point here is article on the move from Neighborhood Watch to Armed Movement Covering Utah Citizens Alarm and Insurgents USA in Utah, and this comes from a local Utah uh, uh, news, K-U-E-R 90.1. So that's uh, great. It's all great. I'm glad that the uh, militias are staying busy in America. It truly makes me feel safe. So, um, yeah, yesterday was a longer episode. Today's not going to be so. And I also just wanted to do a little bit of funner video because I've been playing Cyberpunk 2077 regardless of its anti-consumerist, uh, you know, rollout of the game, basically lying to consumers. They lied to me and I uh, personally, I was wait, really willing to wait. Uh, if they delayed the game further, I would have had no problem. But unfortunately, it seems that the higher ups felt it necessary to really uh, push the game out in the state that it was in, thinking probably that patches would uh, alleviate all of this. But unfortunately, the 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 backlash coming from the community is telling them that they seriously fucked up, and they did. And that's not what this video is about. But I just wanted to bring that up because they did uh, lie to consumers, and it's not okay. Even though I enjoy the game, I cannot actually support the what they did unfortunately I'm such a fanboy that I had already downloaded and got the game before really all the bugs came out and my friend was uh, generous enough to allow me to borrow his Xbox one X so while it is buggy and glitchy and 
does crash from time to time for me. It's actually still very playable, and I have been enjoying it a lot, especially since it has a very strong anti-capitalist message, even though it seems that the higher-ups had practiced some form of crony capitalism there by lying to their customers and not allowing early reviews to come out, like with the footage of how uh, broken the game was on base consoles and even uh, minimum uh, uh, you know, PCs. Um, but here, the Rock Paper Shotgun, a gaming website, reported even Cyberpunk 2077's developers are confronting management about its launch. So I highly recommend go reading the game. Uh, I do believe that developers usually want to release the best game possible, but the higher-ups uh, tend to uh, stifle that and uh, end up releasing games before they're, you know, fully you know, reaching their potential. It's unfortunate that Cyberpunk has to go through this because it is a really great game underneath all of this bullshit. But uh, I wanted to get into this Andrew Clavin video. He's from Daily Wire, and I'm not a fan of his, uh, not at all. But uh, I did see this video pop up on my recommendations. It says Cyberpunk 2077 is just not woke enough. Andrew Clavin claims to be a gamer. He even claimed that he played Last of Us Part 2. And I think I went over his video in a previous episode on Last of Us Part 2. And he had a very unenlightened position of uh, the game's experience. I watched a Wisecrack video uh, that was about Last of Us 2 that was far better because it actually gets down to the subtext of it. He was so focused on one character being transgender-esque that he really couldn't even touch upon the subtext of it. And so, yeah, that's right-wing pandering. That's just getting together for 15 minutes of hate. Shouts out to 1984 by George Orwell. And now that we're here for another episode of 15 Minutes of Hate gaming segment by Andrew Clavin, take it away. So I want to talk about this new game, Cyberpunk 2077. This is not a review. It's actually just something I want to talk about, about the way the game... Oh, and I have watched this video prior, and it's a good thing, too, because halfway through, he's going to have an ad for uh, nicotine gum and I hate when people do it midway through their segments it seems sh so shill but um yeah so I'm gonna have to skip a sec segment once he says that he smokes cigarettes that was his only vice I'm gonna have to skip from there because it gets into an advertisement so is being greeted this is an RPG role-playing game that is based on a pen and paper role-playing game that was kind of like Dungeons and Dragons this takes place in Night City a fictionalized dystopian city in California although how why you would need to fictionalize a dystopian city in California when you could just pick one I don't know because if you knew the lore of it, it makes it much more interesting. The fact that there was a like entrepreneur architect that wanted to build the city of the future. And then he died, I think, midway through the project, and they ended up naming the city after him. I can't remember his first name, but his last name was Knight. And yeah, it makes the game a bit more interesting and allows you to immerse yourself in the world rather than going, oh, I can't believe this is going to be the future San Francisco. I find it more interesting that one architect was like, I want to build the city of the future. And then, you know, because of corporate, corporate, uh, I don't know, fuckery, uh, he was uh, murdered. And, uh, and then the city was still built in his in his name. And I find that very interesting. It adds to the lore of it. 
Um, I don't know why he had to add in there. I don't know. Why couldn't they just represent Los Angeles? And it's like, well, that's kind of boring, you know, like, oh, cool. A, a futuresque Los Angeles. Cool. When really like they like he could build like the creator of the game could build this entire like new complex that in, in fact, I find very interesting, like walking around in Cyberpunk 2077 is really engaging even if there's a lot of bugs you see repeating npcs i have no problem with that a lot of reviewers had a problem with the npcs not having like um what did they call it um why did why is ritual sticking on my like um man like witcher 3 had it to where the npcs had basically like uh lists of like things to do like basically they would go through their day whereas npcs in cyberpunk are much more stagnant they don't really like go anywhere or have days to live um especially like at an apartment complex that i live in in the game they there's like these cops that are there and they're always kind of having the same conversation but i think it might be to initiate like a, a a side mission so i haven't really paid attention to it but they're always there and they're always having the same conversation and it seems a bit repetitive the 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 only thing and it's kind of niche to me is that like every time the game kind of has those kind of glitches it honestly makes me like feel like neo in the matrix like i am reminded that this is a simulation and it kind of adds a little layer of trippiness to it but that's also like that's a bit apologist for the glitches which let's be honest not really okay because if it didn't have the bugs and the glitches the game would be a lot more immersive and wouldn't pull me out that way but for some reason i have this weird sci-fi feeling of like oh yeah i'm living in a simulation and i'm basically neo the only one with free will and choice one of the things about this game is you can choose your character not only choose your character but you can choose your char character's roommates here so i will be back and we're back this pausing feature is much much easier than just letting you sit here ordered some food let the roommate in did it all and you didn't even have to really wait a second so clavin take it away genitals uh, and i'm just imagining you know what it would be like to have a 13 year old boy choosing his character's genitals if a 13 year old boy could invent himself as a character uh the thing is, though, is that the game's rated M for Mature, so a 13-year-old would need their parents to purchase it. And, you know, that's then at that point that for the parents to uh, hold responsibility and be a parent. So if they have issues with M-rated games, they should really, like, at least watch the intros of the games to see what level of rated M that's going to be. So um, I don't know how... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, when I was 13 years old, uh, my cousin showed me Scarface, and I think I came out okay. Uh, Clavin would probably argue against that because I came out a bit socialist, but um, I don't think I could blame Scarface for that. With female genitals, he would never leave his own room. Uh, I, I remember when I was 12 having discussions about how how do women ever leave the room when they could just sit and admire themselves and touch themselves. Uh, and oh my God, what an old man thing to say. What an old man thing to say how like I don't know how why women even leave the bedroom they're they're just so sexy like wouldn't they just like stay in their room and love themselves like ugh, god old man old man his audience must be really predominant male. And I think that that's uh, so that I think is what they're going to be playing into but they think what they're going to be playing into is this wonderful woke transgenderism well. 
nothing, nothing, as you should know, as of course you know, is ever enough for the woke. You can never be woke enough because the point of being woke is to be woker than thou. So even though they have these transgender characters all over the place and you can make your <laughs> I'm going to argue that, like, no, that's not the point of, you know, quote unquote wokeness. But I don't think I really have to explain that. It's rooted in social justice I, mm, and equality. Mm, that's weird. If you're, if you're, which I just, I mean, if you're doing woke stuff to be woker than thou, then you know you're kind of behind on the game. The idea of two 13-year-old boys in a room discussing which genitals to give their characters is just too comical for words. However, yeah, I mean, me and my roommates when we when I started the game, we did have a pretty good laugh at uh, designing the genitals because it is. A little bit ridiculous like the game almost didn't need it but i think it was in an attempt to just you know have transgender people express themselves through a virtual world or even you know maybe cis people were just curious on having a transgender character or saw it as fun i don't i don't know and i don't really care i'm you know i'm not really sure why he had to take his time out of his day to do this other than the fact that it's just part of like i don't know beating down transgender people for existing yet again However, this is being attacked by various critics as just not woke enough because you're never woke enough because they have to be woker because that's where the virtue of being woke comes from. So just just to choose one, I mean, I, there's one from Polygon Review from a writer who is a trans person uh, and doesn't like the fact that, for instance, there are ads for a beverage in this uh, that feature a female coded model. I have to use this word with a penis visible through her skin tight clothing, making it clear that in Cyberpunk 2077, trans bodies are objectified and commodified. Some cis bodies are too, of course, but the crucial difference is that we constantly meet, interact with, and that's so weird because the game like really highlights the fact that like ca like capitalism and corporations literally run everything like it's all about earning euro dollars which is i guess the combination of the euro and american money and it's it's a very capitalist like world so of course like eventually once transgenderism is more accepted hopefully by 2077 of course they're going to be prevalent in more ads of course what do you what do you mean form relationships with cis characters who have far more dimension than the surface of any sexualized image on a billboard. The same can't be said of trans characters. Even if you opt to play as a trans V, that's the, the character, uh, she's not particularly well-defined. The game is about what you see through her eyes and what she goes through. Not I'm not even really sure that I've come across like transgendered characters in the game either. Like your character can be, but it's I don't even think that is brought up in like dialogue or with other characters. You want to know why is because by 2077 or at least by this game standards, it's not going to fucking matter. More people are focused on what you're like implanting in your body technology wise, not by what genitals you have. Not about who she is <laughs> as a person. And, you know, there's so many. But also, yeah, no, I'm not going to, I'm not even going to touch it. Let's just move on. Many things I could say about this, so many ways in which all of this trans stuff is such a fantasy and so foolish and so ridiculous, but that's not what I want to talk about at all. In our country, hopefully, this trans writer can have any opinion she wants. She can have any point of view she wants. She can, uh, or I don't know if she's a she or a he, I'm not sure which trans she is or he is. 
which is funny because uh, Clavin could use the pronoun they. If you're not sure of someone's preferred pronouns, you can just always use a gender neutral one. But uh, for some reason, the right wing has this argument that they isn't a pronoun when it it literally is in dictionaries and it's been used in writing as a pronoun to describe uh, people for a while. So, um, yeah, uh, yeah, I don't... <laughs> or doesn't matter to me at all. Uh, you if know, it doesn't matter to you, then use they. It's gender neutral. You can talk about anybody at any time. I'm perfectly happy for her to live as herself as long as I can live as myself and refer to her by whatever pronoun I please. <laughs> Clavin. He's like, I don't want to use the gender pronouns you prefer. I would much rather use the ones I prefer because your life matters more to me. Uh, what? Like, no, no, no. <laughs> and discuss that, that situation in any way that I please. However. <laughs> if I want to be a bigot, let me be a bigot. This is a stupid way for anyone to approach a cultural work. It's stupid. It is limiting. It is limiting your own mind. Probably the worst. What? What? Uh, what? Possibilities, options, self-expression. That's limiting. Even though, like, also, too, when you play the game, your genitals are never brought up. I think I came across one character who is lesbian, and because my character, I get, I don't even know. She never really brought it up. The only thing she said is that I wasn't her type. So, like, this is, this is so, he hasn't even played the game. He hasn't played the game. He's literally just going off probably arguments from Reddit, probably, somewhere on our conservative gaming or something like that. Our conservative, if they talk about it. I have no idea, because I don't go on there enough. But, yeah, he, I don't even think he's played the game listeners go to lucy dot to give you this disclaimer yep. lucy dot yep there's that one ad. of the reasons that we have the arts one of the reasons we tell stories one of the reasons we have pictures that we look at and play video games is to let other minds into ours that is part of what we used to call loving your neighbor loving somebody is allowing their point of view to come in to yours art is practice for love or it is but as long as I can use the gender pronouns that I prefer to use about you rather than allowing your pronouns to enter my mind, no to that I say. I am Andrew Clavin. That's what it is. Art is a way of communicating the human experience, my human experience, to you through metaphor. There's no way for me to describe what it feels like to be alive. There's no way for me to describe that. The simplest question about, you know, a, a baseball player pitching a no-hitter. How did it feel, champ? He will immediately go to metaphor. He will say it was like waking up on Christmas morning. He will tell you a story about how he feels because there's no way to communicate how it feels to be alive except through metaphor, except through music, pictures, stories, right? And when other people make works of art, they are communicating their experience to you. They are broadening your experience by putting their experience inside you. So. I, for instance, like reading works of art, like reading books, seeing movies that have a different point of view. It doesn't bother me to see a woke movie. But if I went around and insisted that every work of art have my conservative, right-wing, pro-American, pro-freedom point of view, I would never expand myself at all. I would never be able to understand the world at the level at which I understand it.
What is the argument that he's making here? Like, nobody's forcing Cyberpunk 2077 on him. What is it, What is he arguing here? Even the transgenderism isn't being forced on you. You are free to create a cis character. Uh, which comes about, a lot of it, not just through living for a long time and keeping my mind open, but through the arts, which helped me... Yeah, you're, you're conservative because you've kept your mind open. Yeah. Keep my mind open to other points of view. The entire idea of woke art is a mistake and it's a stupid mistake that makes you he's literally just arguing that you should make conservative art because woke art is a mistake okay please explain why you more and more stupid this person this writer and all these writers who are attacking uh, cyberpunk 2077 and all of them who are attacking all the arts as not representing their point of view are making themselves smaller and smaller and smaller and eventually will be so locked down within their own consciousness that they have no tolerance whatsoever. And this is why the people who parade themselves as top Is it the game's fault or is it the writers who look at the game wrong? Because like the thing is, is I don't even I haven't read the article, but I don't agree with the point of view that uh, CD Projekt Red has the wrong perspective on um uh, uh, trans people for displaying that character in an advertisement like that's what's going to happen like capitalism co-ops everything to sell products like if there's more transgender people they will try to sell shit to transgender people as black people have been fr freed from slavery they more and more sold them products because they have money whoever has money capitalism will say give me it so um, it's a rep like the game is trying to represent that gross capitalism that I'm sure that writer does not like and will probably see in the future, even recently, because um, Ben Shapiro was upset that Cartoon Network was acknowledging that there's multiple genders. Um, he was or that even transgenderism was a thing. He, he, he freaked out about it. Um, and it's obvious that Cartoon Network is acknowledging that trans people exist, and so they're going to try and make them feel safe and welcome at Cartoon Network. Capitalism co-opting. It happens. It's happening. Tolerant are actually the most intolerant people in the country. The arts expand your mind, but they can't do it if you shut them down whenever you disagree with them. So... I, I'm so confused because he says the woke art is the problem, but then he describes the reason is because the woke writers won't like the woke art. So what 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 is your solution? His solution is just don't make woke art, which then he, he earlier said that if he said that people should just make right wing cons uh, conservative art, then he wouldn't be OK with that. That everybody should have diversity of thought. But then as soon as it happens and somebody says the wrong thing, well, end it all. <laughs> just like every time facing the level of contradictions in Republicans, it's just so crazy. I don't know how you can be a walking, talking paradox all the time. Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. Amazing. In the words of Jordan Lee Peterson, it's amazing. Feeling strong beta energy coming from Clavin, though. Um, but yeah, that was the easy, uh, fun episode real quick because the yesterday's was so long. So um, catch it next time uh, on Tox News where we will have more intoxicating news to dr drown our sorrows in. And yeah, that's 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 been the episode. I told you it was going to be a light, easy one. And there it is. If you don't like it, um, love yourself. I don't know. I have nothing for you. <laughs>